Well, here to continue our E-series um, with our next message is Michael Hansen. Thank you for the applause. Thanks, JT. <laughs> hey, everyone. I uh, hope you're doing well. Week two. Um, I was thinking of the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, I know I miss you a lot. I miss our weekend routines. So uh, consider yourself appropriately pastoral side hugged. And if you're not a hugger, uh, high five to you. Uh, just a few announcements before we get into the talk. One is church office hours have changed Monday to Friday. Uh, for now, it's going to be from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we have a minimal staff in the office each day. Uh, we've also had folks ask again about how to give. And so just to make that real clear, you, there are four ways you can give. Uh, you can go online to vcdc.org. Um, there'll be a button there you can push. It's give either uh, E360 or through PayPal. Uh, you can also give through your bank's bill pay. If you do your online banking, I know many of us do, uh, you can do it through your bank. You can even mail, if you remember how to do that. Mail your check to Vineyard Church, Delaware County, VCDC, uh, 1001 West Cherry Street, Sunbury, Ohio, 43074. Or uh, for as long as we're able to, you're more than welcome to come by the church and drop it off at the building. Um, following the decision recently to limit gatherings to 10 or less, uh, I know many of you know this already, but we, we decided to cancel our small groups for the time being. For those who are in small groups, which is the majority of our church, which is awesome, uh, we encourage you as a group to stay as connected as possible. Find creative ways to keep in touch, to look out for each other, uh, pray for each other, encourage one another through this time. If you aren't in a small group, uh, if you're watching this and thinking, could I join a group? You can still join a group. Um, it's a great time to get connected. Go to vcdc.org, click on small groups, and then you can enter in the day of the week that works for you. I'm thinking once we get back more to normal, uh, pick one on a day that works. Uh, there'll be the leader's information there. You'll see a bunch of groups. Pick, pick that, call the leader, or text or email the leader. Get in touch with them. Get them your contact info, and they'll get you added to their group list, and, and you'll be kept uh, in, in contact uh, or connected that way. Okay, if you aren't receiving emails or emails from the church and you want to, could you please call the church and leave us your name and email address? Uh, speak slowly and clearly. We, we want to make sure that we get that right, but then we'll get you on the list. One last thing. I was thinking this morning in, in 2 Timothy, we are told to pray for our leaders. And uh, I'm, I know many of you are, but I would encourage uh, us as a church, be praying for Governor DeWine and his team, be praying for President Trump and his team. Like, I can't imagine the stress that these people are under right now. So pray for them, pray for them that they have wisdom uh, and just a real uh, strong uh, sense of community as they work together as a team. All right, uh, as Naomi was saying, we are continuing our series. We're looking at the last words of Jesus as we're making our way towards Easter. And uh, we're looking at the words, like the last words that Jesus literally spoke uh, from the cross before he died. And the words that we're looking at today, I think are really, uh, really heavy words. Uh, they're found in both Matthew and Mark. And uh, the words that Jesus spoke are prefaced by these words. It says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And the Greek word that's used there for cried means more, it's more like Jesus shouted, or it's even stronger, like Jesus 
screamed out in a loud voice. And I remember as a kid, uh, like many of you, I grew up in the church, grew up going to Sunday school, and I heard the story, I heard the story of the, you know, the crucifixion and the death and resurrection of Jesus. I hold, heard it every year, every Easter. And uh, shout out to flannel boards, uh, if you remember those. But, but I remember this story, the story we're gonna look at today, this, these words that Jesus spoke. I never liked this part of the story when I was a kid. Um, and I think a lot of it was just, I just remember just having a, a real deep love for Jesus as a boy. And, and in this part of the story, like Jesus is really suffering. I mean, it's like, it's like even beyond the physical pain, all he endured up to this point, it seemed like something even more uh, painful was happening to him. Uh, up to this point, Jesus really held it together. I mean, if you think about all that he's gone through, the beatings, uh, the humiliation, the rejection, um, being deserted by all his friends, nailed to the cross, like through all of that, it really, if you look at the story, he hasn't cried out. Um, it reminds me of the prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 53 where it says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Uh, Jesus is yet to cry out, and now suddenly, and what we're looking at today, suddenly Jesus is screaming out. And this is interesting. He's not screaming at his accusers like, oh, how dare you? He's not, you know, he's not screaming at his betrayers. He's not yelling, you know, screaming at Judas. He's not even screaming at his executioners. Uh, what's interesting about this story is that Jesus is screaming at his father. And, and I, again, I always struggle with that. Maybe you have too. But what I want to do today is I want to look at this story. I want to look at it from, from two perspectives, these last words of Jesus. Two perspectives that have helped, uh, for me, uh, take this story from a place of confusion to a place of, uh, of great, great encouragement. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into this, to this uh, story. So Lord, thanks for your presence here. Thanks for your presence uh, in all these homes right now watching. And I do pray, Lord, uh, I love knowing that you're everywhere, that we are now connected in you as a church. And I pray uh, just your kingdom would come, that you would use this talk to encourage us today. Just welcoming you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark 15. We're going to look at two verses, Mark 15, verses 33 and 34. Here's what it says. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, those are really heavy words. And so here's the two perspectives I want to look at. Two things. One, Jesus suffered to encourage us. And then two, Jesus suffered to save us. So number one, Jesus suffered. He suffered to encourage us. Um, you know, uh, every year I read, I think I've said this before, every year I read at least one, if not all, of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Parents, if you haven't read them to your kids, do you not love your children, but uh, wonderful, wonderful books, wonderful stories. But, but here's something I've noticed over the years. One of the disadvantages of, of, of a growing familiarity is that what used to really move me, what used to uh, inspire me, what used to really grab me from these stories, 
Like over time, they, they sort of lose some of their oomph, if you will. And I think when we look at the cross for many of us, because we're so familiar with the story, that we, we, we kind of skip over sections uh, that used to really move us, that used to really you know, impress us, grab onto us, but now, now, again, because of familiarity, maybe not so much. And, and I think this is one of those sections that we miss just the severity, just the, the greatness of what Jesus is, is, is doing, what he's experiencing, all that's going on in this story, because we know, yeah, it's Friday, but, you know, but Sunday's coming. Uh, but here's what I want to focus on in this first one, this first section. You know, nailed to the cross, crying out these words, the words that I read, it isn't just some great uh, historical teacher, it isn't some, you know, some famous military leader, it isn't just like, a, you know, a great religious martyr, like it's Jesus. And what I mean is it's Jesus, the Son of God, who's crying these words out. And, I, and where my mind's going is think Greek mythology. Think, you know, what really in the first century, a lot of people believing in lots of different gods, what they would have believed. There's, there's the, really, there's, the, there's always this gap between the gods who are way up there and the people who are way down here. I mean, really, the people, we're like the ants scurrying around. The people, we all exist to please and, and serve the gods. And, and, and you know, and... and but now in this, what we just read, how crazy is it, when you think of what I said about this gap between the gods and people, how crazy is that now here's Jesus, God in the flesh, choosing to live within the limitations of humanity. Now he's crying out in pain on a cross. He's put there on, you know, by human hands, the very humans that he created, mocked and spit on by his creation, abandoned by pretty much all his friends dying. It's like, it's like the gods... The gods just don't do that. Does that make sense? I'll take that as a yes. I mean, I was thinking that we're going into this season of political ads where we're going to see a lot of, you know, people, politicians with hard hats on and hanging out with the working class and like, I'm just like you. And, and, and um, what we see here with Jesus is Jesus isn't on the cross. It's not just a photo op of Jesus sort of getting his hands dirty. This is, this is the life that Jesus fully embraced uh, and it's like, why would Jesus do that? Why would he go through with all that? And here's, here's where my mind is going. The Bible teaches that the sins of the world demand justice. That the sins of the world, the sins that we as humans have committed, demand a sacrifice, a payment. And, 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 and again, my mind is going here. Why didn't Jesus, like, like, why didn't he just come to earth as a grown man? Why didn't he just show up, you know, in his early 30s? Hey, everybody, I'm Jesus I'm the son of God. I mean, I understand you don't believe that. I mean, I sort of knew that was going to happen. I hope one day you do believe that. Uh, but, but I'm here to pay the penalty for your sins so that you don't have to. I know you don't understand that, but that's why I'm here. So, so let's just get that over with, right? Like if, if that was the price to be paid, the cross, his sacrifice on the cross, why not just come to earth and do, go directly uh, to the cross? Like, why didn't he do that? Why did Jesus, like, why did he embrace the full scope of humanity? Why did he, you know, the Son of God, the, the one who's always been, the eternal one, the one, like, who is great and mighty beyond our understanding, why did he lay that all aside, lay aside his divinity? He's still God, but he didn't use it to his advantage. You know, he comes to earth, God takes on flesh, he becomes a man. Why did he scrunch himself down really tiny, tiny, and put himself in the womb 
of this unmarried teenager, right? Mary. Right? Why did he do that? Like knowing that in doing that, that Jesus, and really throughout his lifetime, he's, he was embracing a lifelong label of who's your daddy. Right? Like why would Jesus do that? Why would the creator of the heavens and the earth put himself in the hands of new parents, totally dependent on them to care for him, to look after him? I mean, he fully embraced the human experience. He grew up in a family, a poor family, a working class family. Like Jesus didn't come to earth with a, like a silver spoon in his mouth. He, he didn't live like this humanity light. I mean, he embraced the full scope of humanity. He had siblings. Really, later on, they thought he was crazy. Uh, looking at the picture of the cross and who's there, they've abandoned him. Uh, his closest friends deserted him. One of them totally betrayed him. I mean, you look at all the humiliation, all the physical, mental, emotional pain of the cross. Why did he go through with that? Why did he do all of that? Well, I think there's many reasons, but I would say uh, for this talk today, right near the top would be this, that Jesus did all that. He, he suffered through all that really to encourage us, to be an encouragement to us. Well, what do I mean? Hebrews 4.14 says this in the message. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. So why did he go through all that? Why did he fully embrace the human experience? Well, I think a big part of it is, is so that he would be able to draw near to anyone or that anyone could draw near to Jesus in, in whatever condition you're in, whatever's scaring you, whatever's overwhelming you in life, that anyone could come close to him and pour out their heart and have Jesus respond this way. Like, hey, I totally understand what you're talking about because I've been there. I've gone through that. And I know that you've experienced this in life where like, there's this wonderful, inviting, safe connection that happens when people who have a common experience when they, when they connect over that experience. I know you've, you, you, you've, you've had this happen where, and it can be positive or negative. Like, so for instance, last year I went skydiving. And, and I find when I talk to people now who've also gone skydiving, there's this weird uh, connection. Like we don't even have to finish sentences. Like, you know, when you jump and the wind and the noise, like there's just this, like, like yeah, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Well, it's especially true when you look at people who've experienced common pain in their life. People who've gone through a divorce, people who've gone through bankruptcy, chronic illness, chronic addictions, loss of a child, loss of a loved one, like excessive fears and phobias and anxieties and all this stuff of the human life. And it's like people who've walked the same road have a sensitivity that only comes from walking the same road. Rick Warren said this, uh, when we share our victories, we nurture a culture of competition. But when we share our defeats, we nurture a culture of community. For Jesus to scream from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he wasn't just doing that merely to express the horror of what he was going through. But I believe he also said that to encourage us, to encourage you, to encourage me that, hey, I am a God who's fully in touch with your pain. I'm a God who has lived the human experience, and maybe today, like maybe, this is, maybe these are extreme words, but maybe, like maybe you aren't screaming that phrase right now, but at some level you're wondering, just with all that's going on, you're wondering like, 
Like, has God forsaken us? It's not a word we use a lot, but has God abandoned us? Right? Like, there's a, there's a global pandemic going on. You're watching the, the news. You might want to take a break from the news, but you're watching that. And, it, and literally, you're feeling like the ground beneath you is giving way. Uh, and, and there's this sense of, like, God, have you stepped away from the controls? Uh, but maybe that isn't you right now. Maybe, maybe that was you sometime in the past. Or I can probably guarantee that it will be you in the future. Uh, that, but anyway, for, for wherever you're at, for those who feel like God has forsaken or forgotten you, if you're feeling right now like, like he's against you or passed you by or moved on from you, he's given up on you, like Jesus says to you in this story, he says to you from the cross, I understand that. I understand those feelings. I understand that because I've been there. And really there's this, there's, this, there's this connection of experience where it's like, come to me with that pain. Come to me with those questions because I know what you're feeling. But he also says this to you. You know, be encouraged by my words, but don't stay in that place of questioning the goodness of God towards you. Jesus would say, because I didn't go through that. I didn't suffer through all that only to encourage you, but I also went through that to save you from that place of questioning. So one is he suffered. Jesus suffered to encourage us. And then number two is he suffered to save us. Let me read the passage one more time just to keep it fresh in our minds. Mark 15, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus, again, he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want to point out that what's going on, you know, when we're looking at what Jesus is saying, that it, it is something very personal between him and God. He's not just, I mean, everyone that's there is hearing him say this, but it's not like he's shouting it to, to the group. Like what he is screaming out right now, it's, it literally is not a general phrase for everyone. It's a personal phrase that is directed to his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My father, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus isn't crying out on behalf of humanity. Like, why have you forsaken us? He doesn't say us. We aren't the ones being forsaken. No, again, it's, it's personal. It's like, it's like Father, why, why have you forsaken me? You know, that's what Jesus is saying. And it's, and it's as frightening, as confusing as the cross was to the followers of Jesus. It's important that we understand this. It was frightening and painful, obviously. You know, thus the scream. But it, but it was never confusing for Jesus or the Father. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, think about this. <clears throat> think about the cross. Think about what Jesus is doing right now in the story. Like, this is why he came to earth. This always was the plan. The cross was always looming on the horizon for Jesus. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's like, Jesus, hey, Jesus, why did you come to earth? Well, Jesus would say, well, I came to earth. Really, I came to earth to serve humanity. And, and really, I came to earth to do the ultimate serve. I came to give my life as a ransom. It's like ransom. Why do you have to give your life as a ransom? I mean, who's, who's in prison? Who needs to be ransomed? Well, we do. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of humanity, we're all guilty. 
We've all sinned. We've all turned left when God said turn right. And that's not a political statement, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, And so what's the punishment for our sin? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So the punishment for for our guilt, the punishment for our sin is death. And, And that's what we see in this story. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is being the Lamb of God who right now in this story is the one who's taking away the sins of the world. He's taken on himself the punishment that you, that me, that we all deserve. I mean, he is suffering to save us. And notice that Jesus, before Jesus cried out, it says, uh, from noon till 3 p.m. So it's like three hours, right? It says that for three hours, darkness came over the whole land, which must have been crazy. I mean, it was, it was daytime when darkness suddenly got really dark. And people would have been, you know, I'm sure people would have been going like, what is going on? But I think for most of the, the first century Jews who are used to hearing the old, you know, the old stories of the history of Israel, I'm sure where their minds would have gone, they would have gone back, way back to the book of Exodus, <clears throat> back in the land of Egypt, where God's people are in captivity. When darkness covered the land of Egypt for, for not three hours, but three days, And the darkness, the darkness back in that story was a sign of God's judgment. And the darkness that that happened in Egypt, it came right before, you got three days of darkness before this very important day, and it's the day, the very first Passover. I'm not gonna jump into it, but you can look it up, Exodus 10. But at Passover, what happened is literally an angel of death came, and that angel came to punish, to punish the Egyptians, and when that angel went, you know, when that went over Egypt, like if you're familiar with the story, the firstborn in every house, the firstborn in the fields, the animals, they all died. There was, there was punishment. It was judgment. But when that angel went through the land where God's people lived, he did no harm. No one died. He literally passed over that land. And it, it wasn't because, you know, they, were, they, were, they weren't guilty. Well, no. It was because they did what God told them to do. The blood of a sacrificed lamb was spread over the wood of their door frames. And many scholars would say that those three hours before Jesus died, when it got dark, uh, that, that the darkness was symbolic of the judgment of God. Again, not on the people who were all gathered around who totally deserved it, but on Jesus. But on him, because in that time, again, scholars would say that like the sins of the world were literally poured onto Jesus. All the evil, all the... Just all the yuck of humanity. You know, it's like the father turned away from his son. Like he was alone. He was forsaken. Jesus was in that time. He was that sacrificed lamb whose blood was was poured out or was was spread on the wood of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It's from the Living Bible. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. So what does that mean for us? Jesus suffered to encourage us. Hey, I fully lived the human experience. I I get it. Jesus suffered to save us. I fully took on myself the punishment you deserve. So now you're free. So where does that move? Where does that, what we're talking about, move from theory to, to more practical? Well, listen to this quote from Tim Keller, which I think is just an awesome quote. And when you suffer, you may be completely in the dark about the reason for your own suffering. It may seem as senseless to you as Jesus' suffering seemed to the disciples. 
But the cross tells you what the reason isn't, the reason for your suffering. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that he has no plan for you. It can't be that he has abandoned you. Jesus was abandoned and paid for our sins so that God the Father would never abandon you, would never abandon me. He was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. So as we move toward Easter, I, I want to challenge us to let this incredible truth really take hold in our hearts. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're going to go through, that is confusing and is struggling, as, as much of a struggle as that might be, as faith-shaking as that struggle may be, because of what Jesus did in the cross, you never again need to entertain thoughts or questions that, oh man, God must be punishing me. Well, he's not punishing you. Because, no, because Jesus was punished so that you and I don't have to be punished. Uh, or, oh, God's forsaken, God's abandoned me. No, Jesus was forsaken, Jesus was abandoned so that you and I would never be forsaken or abandoned by God. You know, I said last week that for some of us, this challenging season really is a gift. And I had some people like, really? I'm not so sure I agree. Um, like, like is, let me ask you this. Is it hard for you to believe that God is with you and for you in the midst of the struggles? Like, it is for me. It totally is for me. When I get anxious, when I get afraid, uh, uh, I have this default inside. Like, suddenly I feel really alone. And, and, and in that aloneness, and really where that aloneness comes from, is I start to question the presence of God. I feel like somehow he's backed away from me. I feel like somehow he's just standing at a distance, you know, and I've got to figure this out on my own. I don't know if you feel that way. But when I look at this season that we're in, what a wonderful opportunity we've been given to work on this area of our faith. To grow in our belief and confidence that God is always with us. That God is always for us. Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right now, for you, for your family, as hard as it may be, God is not punishing. He's not abandoning. He is right there with us, and he's actually working for our good, for your good. We have his word on that. I'm going to end off with this. A uh, pastor of mine, uh, I was talking with him last week, and he made this comment that really grabbed me. He said, who we are after this crisis builds on who we are during this crisis. Does that make sense? Like, that's where I see this time as an incredible gift for, for us as individuals, as families, and for us on a church level. Like, let's make this a season where we are leaning into the presence and goodness of God at a time where it's confusing, uh, uh, I know our schedules are really out of whack, but I want to challenge us as a church to take time each day. Like take, start with five minutes, or if, you, you know, if you're doing this more often, maybe make it longer, but just take some time to get quiet with God and invite Him to come close, and then just listen to what He says. Uh, let's, not, let's not waste this time.